My earliest memories of my parents were of alcohol abuse and constant fighting. My mom drank beer and my dad preferred wine. When dad would get drunk on wine, he would go for the shotgun and threaten to kill my mom's sister and me. Thankfully, mom would hide the shells when he began to drink. We could never be sure that there wasn't already one in the chamber. Dad was both physically and verbally abusive to mom and us. When my sister was nine years old, I was seven, and our little sister was one, there was a dramatic change in our family. We didn't know why at the time, but my dad became very religious and legalistic. Suddenly, he quit drinking and took us to church on Sundays and almost every night of the week. We also took turns holding Bible studies in someone's home on those nights when there was no church service. We weren't allowed to wear slacks, shorts, or anything except dresses that reached below the knee. Mom couldn't cut her hair, but had to wear it up in a bun. She also wasn't allowed to wear any makeup or jewelry. Our church sermons were often about hellfire and brimstone, and the fact that you had to get saved to avoid going to hell. As a seven-year-old girl, I was terrified of hell and suffered from insomnia. I was convinced that I would die in my sleep and wake up in hell. To make matters worse, I was sure that Jesus wouldn't save me. Every single time there was an altar call at church, I would rush down to the front as fast as my legs could carry me. I would then get on my knees and beg Jesus to save me. Then well-meaning ladies from the church would surround me and tell me that I had to speak in tongues in order to be saved. They would hold my arms up in the air and pray that the fire would fall on me. They said that simply asking Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins was not enough. I desperately tried to speak in tongues, but it didn't happen. I saw others rolling on the floor speaking in tongues. At least one of them I knew to be a thief and a liar. Therefore, my seven-year-old mind reasoned that, for some reason, God wouldn't save me. He even saved someone who stole and lied, but he wouldn't save me. By the time I left that church at 10 years old, I felt totally rejected by God. I decided that if he didn't want me, I didn't want him either. My mom left my dad when I was 10 years old. She fell in love with our neighbor, Johnny, who was divorced. Mom and Johnny told us we were going to watch fireworks on July 4th. My dad didn't want to go, and he and Mom got into a big argument when Mom said she was going anyways. When we got into Johnny's car, we didn't know that we would never see our dad again. Mom and Johnny moved us from California to Arkansas. Mom told us that Dad had died, so we didn't try to contact him. I later learned that Dad had not really died until I was 16. We instantly went from ultra-religious to no religion at all. We did attend a Baptist church once in a while and went to their ice cream socials, but that was it. Mom's new relationship only lasted two years. Then we moved back to California. Mom began drinking again and spent many nights away from home. So my two sisters and I were pretty much on our own. I was very angry at God and didn't want anything to do with him or religion. Our two neighbor ladies in Long Beach, California were married to sailors and had lots of drunken parties. I was introduced to alcohol at 13 years old. I became promiscuous and very worldly at a young age. I loved to Mexico with a 20-year-old man when I was 16. That marriage lasted a year. And then when I tried to file for a divorce, I learned that the marriage had never been filed in the United States, so I wasn't legally married at all. I married again when I was 18. We moved to my husband's hometown in Pennsylvania, then through a series of events, ended up in Salt Lake City, Utah. My husband began cheating on me shortly after we were married, and we had numerous affairs during our six-year marriage. Although the marriage was unhappy, I will always be thankful for our two wonderful sons, Rob and Steve. During the last year of our marriage, I went to work as a cocktail waitress in a private club. I became involved with the club owner, Boogie, who was also married. 
we both divorced our spouses and then began living together. We lived together for six years before getting married. Boogie was an inactive Mormon who really didn't know much about what the Mormon church taught, but was absolutely sure that it was the true church, and if anyone said anything negative about the Mormon church, he would defend it vehemently. Although I didn't want anything to do with God, living in Utah put a lot of pressure on the kids to fit in. Boogie convinced me that the boys should get involved with sports. The Mormon church had a basketball team and hosted Boy Scouts, so the boys became active in the Mormon church. The Mormon missionaries began visiting our home to prepare Rob and Steve for baptism into the church. Some of the things the missionaries said to the boys bothered me because they didn't line up with what little I remembered about the Bible. I would ask questions that they couldn't answer. However, they taught that hell was a temporary place that you could get out of by having a Mormon pray for you. That was very appealing to me because I was convinced I was going to hell. I asked them to show me in the Bible where it taught that. They said they didn't know where, but it was in there. Then they told me to take the Book of Mormon, read it, and pray about it. They said I would get a good feeling and would let me know it was true. Thank God I didn't get the warm feeling or I might have been hooked. They decided I was being difficult, so they invited the local bishop to come over to talk to me. He couldn't answer my questions either and told me I was being argumentative. I actually cried because I so desperately wanted him to prove to me that the temporary health thing was real. But I let the boys get baptized into the church anyway. I figured that one church was as good as another. They did teach good moral values. It kept the boys out of trouble, and now they fit in with their Mormon friends. So, you know, what could it hurt? I began working for Medicare in 1982. In 1985, a lady named Glennie came to work as the manager of my department. As most people in Utah do, that she asked me if I was Mormon. I said no, but my husband and kids are. This was usually an answer that satisfied people that there was hope for me too. Glennie stunned me by asking, why? What do you mean, why? She said, why would you let your kids go to that church? I gave her my standard reasons. They teach good moral values. They have a wonderful sports programs. They belong to the scouts, etc. Glennie asked me if I realized the Mormon church was a cult. Of course, I said I didn't believe it was a cult. Glennie began to give me information every day to show me the various aberrant teachings of the Mormon church. She also backed up her allegations with actual literature from the Mormon church. Each night I would try to discuss what I was learning with Bogey, but he absolutely would not listen. I would try to show him the literature, but he said he didn't need to look at it because he knew that the church was true. He said that Glennie was a troublemaker and I should stay away from her. After about a year, Glennie hit me with a zinger. Did you know that Mormons believe they can become God? I was devastated. I said, there's no way my husband and kids believe that they can become God. I would know that. I was very defensive because deep down I knew she would bring me proof that what she was saying was true. Sure enough, the next day she brought me the LDS book called The Gospel Principles. It explained the law of eternal progression to Godhood. My heart sank. I felt so guilty that I let my kids get involved in the Mormon church and didn't know how I would ever get them out. I still didn't have a relationship with God, but I had hopes that my sons would someday. I went home that night to confront my husband. With a rum and coke in one hand and a cigarette in the other, I said to Boogie, You got my kids into a cult, and you think you can become God? Needless to say, that didn't go over well. Boogie looked at me incredulously and said, What in the world are you talking about? He went on to tell me that he had never heard such a thing and I needed to stay away from that crazy Glennie. When my 17-year-old son Rob got home, I asked him if he thought he could become God. 
I will never forget how my heart sank when he looked at me, hands on his hip, and arrogantly said, I know I can, Mom. I said, I want us all to go to Bible study and do a comparison between Mormonism and the Bible. Both Bogey and Rob said they would absolutely not to go to any Bible study because they knew that the Mormon church was the true church. Surprisingly, my 14-year-old son, Steve, said, I'll go with you, Mom. I later learned that a few weeks prior to this conversation, Steve had sneaked out in the middle of the night with some older friends. One of the friends had stolen the keys to his sister's car and taken it for a joyride. Steve was sitting in the very back of the hatchback when one of the girls said he could move up to the back seat and she would sit on his lap. Seconds later, the car was rear-ended and the place where he had been sitting was demolished. He knew he would have been killed if he hadn't moved to the back seat. He said he heard an audible voice say, if you had died, you would have gone to hell. This was a kid who didn't even believe in hell, so it shook him up pretty badly. So when I mentioned Bible study, he was ready. Bogey was adamant that Glennie was wrong and the Mormon church didn't teach that men could become God. He refused to look at any evidence. He said he would ask the Mormon teachers who came to visit monthly. When the visiting teachers came to visit, Bogey was extremely upset when they confirmed that they believed that they could become God. He ordered them out of our home. We eventually visited an Assembly of God church during a Tuesday night youth service. We were so impressed with the love we were shown by the young boys in the group, Steve gave his heart to the Lord that night. The following week, an evangelist visited the church and preached every night for a week. When the altar call was given, Boogie raised his hand. When the evangelist invited those who raised their hands to come forward, Boogie stood up and started pulling me down the aisle with him. I remember thinking that God might save him, but I knew he wouldn't save me. I repeated the sinner's prayer along with all the others that night. Then they asked us to follow the counselors down to the fellowship hall where we would go be given information. I thought, here we go. Now they're going to tell us we have to speak in tongues to be saved. When that didn't happen, I was pleasantly surprised, but I still didn't believe I was saved. Two weeks later, it dawned on me that I had been going to sleep every night. The insomnia I had suffered with since childhood was finally gone. I realized that God had really touched me that night at the altar. I finally began to trust him for salvation. Boogie's life changed so dramatically that everyone took notice. My life changed too, but not as dramatically as Bogie's. Later that year, our older son Rob gave his heart to Jesus. Both my sisters and their husbands, Bogie's oldest daughter, Rob and Steve's wives and children have all been saved. We have also seen many of our friends come to the Lord. I know this has been a long testimony, but believe it or not, I actually shortened it a lot. Thank you so much for motivating me to tell you this and write it down. God is so good.